On this prequel episode, we've got our Starship Troopers fan poll follow-up. We're learning about the Twilight effect on teen media and previewing Eclipse. Hello and welcome back to this film's lit podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's another prequel week, and that means the first thing we do is give a quick shout out to all of our lovely patrons. First, we have new patrons, and we have a new $15 Academy Award winner patron, and that patron is Winchester's Never Die. I believe that is a reference to that TV show. Yes. Supernatural, that's it. <laughs> I was like, that TV show, I've never seen a single episode. I would probably, we would probably like it, from what I've heard. It's, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, I think generally we probably it would. It seems roughly in the, you know, we like, you know... Uh, Winona Earp and Buffy yeah. and all those kind of. There's so many seasons though. There's too many. That's the reason I That's, would never yeah. probably watch it. There's 15 seasons or something, and and I bet a lot of them are like. I think the most recent ones are like shorter seasons, but I think a lot of the early ones are like because it's on network. I think a lot of them are like the 23, 24, 40 minute episodes, 25 episodes. Woof, that's a lot of work. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, you guys. Um, so I don't know if we'll ever watch it, but we appreciate you. I also feel like I recognize your patron name from other podcasts I listen to, but I could be wrong. I feel like I've heard Andrew Torres or somebody say that before. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Let's get on to our recurring Academy Award winner patrons. These are the patrons uh, of which Winchester's Never Die will be joining on the next prequel episode, who we give a shout out to every week. Because they support us at our highest patron level. And they are Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Dory, Eli Youngs, Gratch, da, 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 just Gratch, Shelby says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, Fascism is Here and It Brought Secret Police, and finally, as always, Alina Villette Kolova. Thank you all to our ever growing stable of Academy Award winning patrons. It is a tremendous help to the show, and we appreciate you all. Very much. Let's go ahead and talk about your guys' reaction, your comments, everything you had to say about Starship Troopers. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Katie, we had a ton of feedback. Yeah, we had a ton of feedback on this one Um, from Facebook. Yeah. ton of feedback from Facebook, not so much from the other platforms, but Facebook did gangbusters, so good job, guys. We appreciate you. We love it when we get this kind of stuff. It means we have to do less <laughs> notes about the movie in the book <laughs> to fill time. But we also just really like hearing what people have to say. It's yeah. really interesting. So on Twitter, um, we had uh, less feedback on there, so we'll get that one out of the way first. We had 10 votes total on Twitter. One of them was for the book. Nine of them were for the movie. Whoever voted for the book in this instance did not go did to not, bat for it. Did not it. defend it. No. Just voted. Um, we had one comment on Twitter from the son of Skyrim that's at Dragonborn2008 mm-hmm. who said, I'm just going to say this. I've only watched the movie. I have not read the book. Hell, I didn't even know it was a based on a book until now. Well, there you go. And that's a sentiment that we get fairly frequently yep. on this show. Yes, indeed. Sometimes we have that sentiment. Yeah, yeah, we true. discover things that we're like, hmm, didn't know that was based on a book. Over on Facebook, we had 13 votes. And almost mm. as many comments. Yes. Or maybe more comments. I, lots of comments. Yeah. Uh, we had, but we had 13 total votes. Nine of them were for the movie and four of them were for the book. More for the book than I might have thought, but interesting. Yeah. Um, and we did have a lot of comments. So 
bear with me here. Some of them are long. I might have to take a drink of water in between each <laughs> comment. Jennifer said, I think the discussion that can come out of Heinlein's insistence that his limited democracy is a certain utopia is really interesting, though probably not for the reasons he meant it to be. But for me, this is all about the movie. The entire cast brings it, the government propaganda shorts are on point, and everything from the effects to the costumes to the overall tone is addictive. While I read the book once a long time ago, I've seen the movie too many times to count and will watch it many, many more. Right on. I agree with, I think, all of those points, though. Yeah, I, Not- really, I, I really agree with the first point that I, I don't, I don't know if Heinlein meant it to be interesting in the way it ended up being interesting. I really, I feel that I'm on your level, Jennifer. (laughs) Ian H. said, full disclosure, I didn't read the book, but I do enjoy the film from the ads to why you need to throw knives to Xander's final words to the brain bug. Didn't want to make me join the military. I'm more of a Star Wars Galactic Empire person myself. So a different fascist empire. (laughs) Yeah. That's not satirical. (laughs) They're just the bad guys. But yeah. Um, It's a fun satire film on war. Even a British Tory like myself can see that. So for those that don't see it, probably shouldn't critique the films. Fair enough. A Tory listener, huh? I don't know anything about British politics, but Me I, think, either. I think that's their conservative party. <laughs> it is. Interesting. Continue. Daryl said, despite picking the book, I find the movie to be utterly delightful schlock that I have rewatched many times, but I also reread the book regularly. On my first read, when in my late teens slash early 20s, I was fascinated by the philosophy of the world Heinlein created and enjoyed the military details and Rico's journey. Reading now in my 40s, I find the book's thesis laughably naive, recognize the amount of yikes going on, but still enjoy the story. In the end, picking the book came down to me not being a big fan of Carl being psychic and having such a big role. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't really talk about too much, I don't think. Carl is, like, almost not in the book Yeah, we we mentioned it. We We mentioned it, it, because I asked about him being psychic and you said he was in the book but not really like yeah um and his role's not huge i would argue it's not huge in the movie but it's bigger than it is definitely bigger than it is but what i will say about that comment is that i can definitely identify with um you know reading or watching something in your maybe early 20s and feeling Mm -hmm. one way about it and then coming back to it you know as a wiser more um studied person and realizing how wrong you were Having recently um, been in the thick of a reread of Twilight, there you go. I can definitely identify with that. That's a great example. <laughs> Ashley said, full disclosure, I've never read the book. Heinlein seems like the kind of hard sci-fi I've never been able to get into. I was a little late to the party not seeing in the movie until I was well into college, always brushing it off as, as a schlocky action movie, which it still kind of is, but over the numerous times rewatching, it's become one of my favorite movies. I don't want to give Verhoeven any more credit than he deserves, but I don't really watch the movie as a propaganda film for us as the viewer, but as one for Johnny Rico. In the beginning, when Johnny is in school and his teacher is giving that lecture about how violence solves everything, Johnny questions him, saying that violence sometimes may not always be the answer. 
The movie then shows how the society and the experiences that Johnny goes through reinforce his teacher's lesson. Almost all of Johnny's problems are solved through violence, including getting Carmen in the end after the brutal death of Dizzy and that other dude. That's why although Johnny can be somewhat a hollow character, we still feel connected to him. You could see that he could have had it in him to follow a different path, but with all the brainwashing he's experienced, he essentially becomes a drone himself. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting read. I think that's I think that's part and parcel with the, sort of our take on it is that his his arc um, in becoming that we talked about, you know, at the end, they can, the war just goes on and he's now like the mouthpiece of the propaganda videos. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's sort of part and parcel with the larger narrative to us as a viewer about, about this society and how, how it, it it's not, it, it's, mm-hmm. they look like the good guys, but they're actually not. And it's, I, I think we're, we're supposed to see that through the transformation of Johnny Rico's character as a big component of that. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. Steven said, I remember liking the book, but not enough to go back and reread it. The movie is just a fun summer romp kind of thing. The story is popcorn and fun. The effects hold up surprisingly well. I like the over-the-topness of the whole thing. Yep. I mean, yeah, it's still yeah. fun if you don't, if you don't, yeah, even if you don't go into it looking for the, you know, worried about the sort of, that's what we talked about during the episode, uh, you know, just as an effective action war mm-hmm. movie, it does a, a good job. Um, I think it's important to recognize the sort of broader aspects of it, but it's also just fun to watch. So Adam said... I read Starship Troopers on a family vacation in 1996 when I was nine, and I remember absolutely loving it. I just quick side note here, Adam, I could not imagine reading this book as a nine-year-old. Color me impressed. I thought the ideas about having to serve to be involved in running things sounded smart. It made me think it would be a good idea to join the military. I wanted to be whoever was in charge of the dogs. Mm. I even went to the library. We didn't get AOL until the following <laughs> year to try and read up on Rod- on the Roger Young. I was propagandized as all hell. <laughs> then the movie came out and I was expecting something awesome. Giant power armor suits, tactical battles, weird bug aliens, basically StarCraft, except StarCraft mm-hmm. didn't exist yet. I was super disappointed that it felt like they made this cool book I read feel kind of goofy. Eventually, when I revisited it later, I think that's part of what clued me into it being satire, which in turn helped clue me into why some of the things from the book that I thought sounded reasonable were terrible, which in some small way probably contributed to me landing as an adult somewhere in the anarcho-socialist there you go. anarcho-communist area. So I give it to the movie for helping give my young indoctrinated self that nudge <laughs> leftward. Although Paul Verhoeven <laughs> will be proud. Although I do think it would be funny to resurrect Heinlein and see the look on his face if I told him that reading this book was technically part of what eventually made me a socialist. That is a good point. I'm like not sure point. Heinlein would like that. That's great. <laughs> it's, you, can, you can have that experience now by uh, tweeting at J.K. Rowling that reading her books is what made you <laughs> inclusive of trans people. <laughs> or true. one of the things. that. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> And then let her block you. (laughs) Anthony said, Teenage me was super confused by the book in the late 90s. I couldn't tell if Heinlein was writing satire. Adult me is leaning more towards the book as serious. Movie all the way for all the reasons Brian brought up. 
Teenage me loved the movie as well, but for very different reasons. I would agree because they agreed with me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's the same thing. If I had seen this, and I think I said that when I saw this when I was younger. Yeah. To me, it was just a a goofy action movie that was, you know, kind of schlocky and fun Mm -hmm. and and had cool, you know, was just kind of cool. It reminded me of Halo because I think I saw it after Halo came out and it was kind of a similar feel at times. But I had never seen this movie before we did the episode. I think I would have hated it when I was younger. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Solidly. Yeah. The very different uh, types of medium. Not very different. We had a crossover, but yeah, we had different media that we were into. Yes. On top of the things that we did have that were similar. And Sarah said, I have so little memory of reading Starship Troopers that your descriptions of most elements of it didn't even <laughs> ring a bell, except for the one about Johnny meeting his father after thinking he was dead. However, I give this one to the movie for more personal reasons than it just being better than the book. Starship Troopers was actually the very first R-rated movie that I ever saw. I remember being home alone with my dad while the rest of the family was out of town and us going to to Blockbuster and him allowing me to pick out any movie I wanted. At 15, I was just getting into sci-fi and was desperate to watch something that wasn't a kid's movie. And this was just sitting there on the new release shelf, looking like the coolest thing ever. It, it, does, it does have a great cover. It's if you, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, just, it's the cover. I think it's just like Johnny Rico in the armor and stuff. And there's like a bugs behind him. Yeah. Neither of us had any idea what we were getting into with the violence and the gore and the nudity, but to my dad's credit, he didn't even blink, and he sat right next to me on the couch that night while we watched the whole thing and never told my mom (laughs) what he'd let me watch while she was gone. (laughs) The fondness that I hold for this movie has me revisiting it every few years or so, and though I have come to appreciate the fact that a lot of the social commentary can be hidden in the margins of movies that tend to be written off as mindless action flicks, and also that the book is not always better than the movie. Thank you so much for doing this one. Boom. That was a brilliant comment. You well, are welcome, Sarah. Fantastic. And that was a good story. I liked it. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Michael said, one thing that the film did correctly was nail the Navy versus Marine Corps jokes. M.I. does the dying, fleet does the flying, is fairly representative of ground forces and naval and air forces' inability to give each, to give other branches their credit for their part of mission success. I served in the Army and Navy with a daughter who was in the Air Force. We always laughed at the movie and treated it as over-the-top, schlocky B-movie satire. Some movies are not meant to be taken seriously as intelligent satire like Catch-22. This is the poster child for good, dumb, fun satire. Yeah, I the from yeah from my understanding of the the comments about the military sort of headbutting and mm-hmm. uh, pissing match for lack of a better term. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, they, this, he said he served in the Navy and the Army. I wonder if that's not super common. Is I don't know. I don't know. That feels like a thing that's not super common to me. Usually, you feel like you get in a branch and you stick it in that one. But I could be wrong. I have no idea. Anyways. Um, yeah, I'm um, always interesting to hear because neither of us have any military experience, obviously. No, so. and I mean, I have family members, but not like yeah. cl- not close family members, yeah. not immediate family members. Um, and our last comment, Ian C said, "How can you choose? They are both delightful in completely different ways." There you go. You would disagree. I with would that. respectfully <laughs> disagree, Ian C. About the book, but. 
I, so it sounds like the book is because and several, several people said this and we should have done this. I think somebody commented on our Instagram about how they figured it would be a switch episode and it probably should have been in retrospect mm. um, just because I say should have been. It doesn't like it needs to be, but it, I do tend to it. I like hard sci fi. Yeah, it's a, it's a genre I enjoy and I enjoy reading it, um, which we've discussed before with like the right. Martian and things like that. So it might have it probably would have made sense um, to, to switch on this one. Yeah. Thing. I, that being said, I, I don't. I, don't think. I think you probably would have ended up with uh, similar feelings about I agree, it, yeah. as I did. But yeah, you're right. Um, Ashley comment from Ashley earlier, where she said, um, "Had always had trouble getting into hard sci-fi," yeah. and I feel similarly about yeah. sci-fi. I prefer my sci-fi like more in the vein of Star Wars, yeah, fantasy, yeah, more, fantasy, leaning more towards the like, fantasy side than the hand hard wavy, side. weebly wobbly right. kind of sci-fi. Basically magic, but like. <laughs> With, yeah. with with like electricity and electronics and stuff wizards yeah. in space yeah yeah. Yeah. As, yeah yeah right as opposed to something like this where Heinlein went to great lengths to try to justify everything about the world and yeah. how it worked yeah i really like both um but i do really enjoy hard sci-fi at times uh you know i think i like them both in very different ways obviously but i do I, unlike you i actually do enjoy hard sci-fi so i probably should have read it might have been, might have been, it would, if nothing else, it would have been a nice break for you as opposed to having <laughs> to slog through this book. So, all right. Thanks to everybody for all of that feedback. That was brilliant. Uh, we love when we get those kind of comments on episodes mm-hmm. because it really gives us a lot to talk about during the prequel episodes. And we just love hearing what everybody else has to say instead of just what we have to say about these things. Yeah. So we appreciate yeah. it. And before we completely close out our Starship Troopers discussion, I want to give one more thank you to our Academy Award winner patron, Alina Delet-Kolova. Yes. Starship Troopers was a um, Academy Award winner patron level request. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you get priority requests if you support us at the $15 level. Mm-hmm. And they requested Starship Troopers. And I said, okay, I'll put it on the schedule. There you go. So thank you, Alina. We thank you at the beginning of every episode. But it's what happens. You get one more extra thanks here (laughs) for recommending uh, that we do Starship Troopers. Let's move on to our Learning Things segment where we're going to learn about the Twilight Effect on teen media. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. So if you remember the Twilight craze, we're talking like 2005 to 2009 here. Yeah, when peak, it peak. Yeah. Peak Twilight. Peak Twilight craze. You probably also remember that a lot of well, media in general, but specifically a lot of media geared towards teenagers, the books, the movies, etc., mm-hmm. that came out around and shortly after that time also felt a lot like Twilight. Yes. So the late aughts and early 2010s saw a lot of new and repurposed vampire properties pop up. Uh, For example, there was Rochelle Mead's Vampire Academy series and Melissa De La Cruz's Blue Blood series, first books of which were both published 2007, Mm -hmm. solidly in that range. Um, L.J. Smith's The Vampire Diaries novel series, which was originally published in the early 90s, got a glossy new reprint in 2007, um, followed by a continuation of the series after literal decades of hiatus. Um, And True Blood, which is based on the Suki Stackhouse novels, 
first of which was published in 2001, began airing on HBO in 2008. Mm -hmm. All of this right in the thick of Twilight Mania. Vampires. So hot right now. So hot right now. So hot right now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right then. I mean, mean, they're coming back a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, We talk about, uh, we've talked about it on here before, like 20-year and 30-year pop culture cycles. Cycles, yeah. I feel like there's also a vampire pop culture cycle. They come back like every 15-ish years or so, (laughs) I've noted. That must be their gestation period. (laughs) (laughs) They're like cicadas. Yeah. (laughs) Come crawling back out from underground. Um, Anyway, um, so vampires were super hot in that time period, but it wasn't just vampires. Um, Werewolf stories also started cropping up, like uh, Maggie Steve Otter's The Wolves of Mercy Falls series, first book published in 2009, Um, the film Blood and Chocolate in 2007 also featured werewolves. Um, Other properties made use of yet even more fantastical mythological creatures like uh, Becca Fitzpatrick's 2009 uh, young adult novel Hush Hush, which features a fallen angel. But even properties that didn't use mythological creatures or even any fantasy elements, the prop, the popular choices of the day were still pretty solidly Twilight-esque. Um, dark themes, dark aesthetics, dangerous situations, love triangles, and especially relationship dynamics that were often similar to mm-hmm. Edward and Bella. Um, you have your brooding dangerous, usually at least arguably abusive male love interest paired with a, quote, ordinary female love interest who was willing to keep hanging around despite by being mistreated and or mm-hmm. in danger. Twas the order of the day. Yes. <laughs> now, if you want, um, and I know this will be meaningful to our listeners, <laughs> but if you want a meaningful example of how much Twilight's popularity affected media at the time, consider how much more the film version of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows played up the love triangle element than yeah. the book did. Yeah. We talked about it in the yeah. episode, so I'm not going to rehash it. No, we, we don't need to rehash it. But keep, keep that little nugget in your mind. Mm-hmm. This was the reach that Twilight had. Yes. So because it really affected the trends that would rule young adult media and especially literature for the next decade or so, the Twilight Saga also brought a much-needed boost to the young adult publishing industry, which was starting to slow down a little bit as Harry Potter was kind of coming to a close. Mm -hmm. Now, Rowling had obviously been the juggernaut, in children's and young adult publishing for a full decade. But by 2007, the year that Deathly Hollows was released, you know, Harry Potter was coming to a close. And even prior to that, as Harry Potter was winding down, interest in Potter-esque properties was kind of waning. Because you do see that boom, you know, similar to how we saw a lot of vampire properties around the same time as Twilight, when Harry Potter was, like, really in its heyday, we saw a lot of similar, like, magical kid goes to magical magic boarding, boarding school, school yeah. kind of properties. 
that's just the way that publishing works, yeah. right? Oh, this is popular. Give me more of that. Give me more. Um, but interest in that specific type of story was starting to slow down. So we needed something new. Enter one Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> now, Twilight, obviously, that was published 2005. So we're kicking it off a little bit there. But I want to talk a little bit about Eclipse because Eclipse was released the same year as Deathly Hollows. So I think there's some pertinent basis for comparison here. And Eclipse did incredibly well. It sold over 150,000 copies in the first 24 hours of its original print run, and it actually booted Deathly Hollows from the number one spot on several bestseller lists. Um, for some extra kind of context there, novels that are midway through an established series, which eclipses book three, right, typically sell around 5,000 copies on their first day. Yeah. Um, Megan Tingley, who at the time was the main publisher with Little Brown Books, published The Twilight Saga, was quoted as saying, I've been in this business for 20 years and I've never seen anything like this. So this really was a phenomenon. Um, also, shout out here to my cousin Emily, who sent me a bunch <laughs> of screenshots so that I didn't have to pay to read a Wall Street Journal article from 2007. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. But the overall enormity of the success of the Twilight Saga meant a new era for young adult fiction and resulted in an explosion in properties like the ones that I mentioned earlier. Not all of them were good but we bought them, <laughs> we read them, we consumed them. And to push this idea even further, while there are obviously older examples of YA lit that fit here, the era that Twilight kicked off well and truly really also kicked off the idea that YA stories aren't just for the why. A lot of adults also really like reading young adult. Themes and plot lines, like I said, darker, more mature, um, but generally still appropriate and relatable to their target audience, which means that they never took it like too far. Right. Reading in the YA genre is generally safe. Yeah, they're, they're PG-13 yes. movies. They're not R movies. Yeah. Or... Um, but more adults were reading young adult than ever before, which meant more people buying, higher demand for more books for more stories. So this was this incredible boom to the publishing industry. And that demand also resulted in the creation of a brand new publishing genre. Um, St. Martin's Press first coined the term new adult fiction in 2009. Again, we're right in the thick of it there. Um, and that genre is an attempt to create a quote-unquote older YA. Um, in other words, to take the genre conventions that adults love in young adult lit and apply them to more mature stories, typically geared to like the 19 to 30 age range, yep. whereas YA is geared towards like the 12 to 18 yeah. age range. Now, the the success of... The new adult genre is highly debatable. Yeah. Um, St. Martin's Press kind of came up with it. There was a little bit of like a hubbub of like, you're just trying to make money. And yes. Yeah. Sure. Um, but it, as a genre, I would say that it hasn't really found its footing. Yeah. I was trying to think of 
like if there's a big example of something. In there's it. really not the the series, uh, arguably because it, there's. So I I just finished the Shadow and Bone mm-hmm. series, and I would say that's maybe close. I don't know if it's it's not nearly as big as something like, um, I say the Shadow and Bone series. That's the name of the first book the series. Is, uh, the whatever I can't remember what it's called. Um, the the whatever the it's named after the oh god I can't remember anything now. Um, but anyway, Shadow and Bone and uh, mm-hmm. the the books. There's three of them, um, and they're they're y- very YA feeling. There's like a love triangle, and yeah, it's magic, and it, there's like a magic boarding school even. But in la- in some of the mi- middle and later books, there's some very like v- sort of violent, like like over like if this was depicted in a movie or TV show, this would be an R rated movie or TV show versus like you know, a PG 13 thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's stuff that's way more violent than anything we ever see in like Harry Potter, but it's still, I don't know if I would say have that, that one still rides the line of that. It's probably fine for audiences under 18 from like 15 and up. Anyways, yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to think if there was any sort of big, like what the best known, like new um, adult. Series I can't even think be. of anything off the top of my head. A lot of Grisha, like, Grisha verse. That's the that's the sorry shadow. A lot of new adult is, I think, pretty solidly romance. That makes right now, which I don't read a ton of. Mm. Um, Yeah, that was the first thing that came up when I googled new adult before I hit enter was new adult romance books. Yeah. So, and I I think you bring up kind of a good point though that I I think this is just my personal opinion, my analysis of the situation that part of the reason new adult has had some trouble getting up off the ground is because of this boom and like darker themed, darker motifed young adult. Yeah. Like I I don't need a a more mature subcategory if the young adult is also kind of mature already, you know? And it's also like the, yeah, according to on Wikipedia, Shadow and Bone, which is the first book, is categorized fantasy young adult. So, yeah, which makes sense. Um, it depends on the I guess with the romance, I could see if they want if they they're just romance makes sense for that category if they want more explicit. Yes. To explore actual sexual relationships in a way that maybe isn't appropriate for 12 year olds, but is for like 15 plus mm-hmm. or what, you know, whatever, whatever age you want to. But like. That's a complicated discussion, but um, if you want to be, explore more explicit sexual relationships in your books, I could see mm-hmm. having that in its own sort of genre potentially. But it's basically, you know, if Twilight was just like also had like explicit sex scenes in it, right? Yeah, that would probably require its own genre. I, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I, no, I I agree, and I think that's the point. It, from what I understand of the publishing industry, it has become kind of like this self-perpetuating thing that like eats itself because there's pushback against like um, more mature themes and situations happening in young adult because people are like, well, this isn't appropriate for the younger end right. of young adult. But then when you slap the new adult label on it, 
people don't buy it. Yeah. Because they're buying, they're used to buying young adult or they don't know what new adult means or there's no like big examples for whatever reason. So they keep publishing the more mature stuff under young adult because it's selling. Yeah. And I also, I think maybe it's just, um, yeah, it's tough because there's, you know, because young adult can span such a broad. Yeah. It's already, even what is like, even the like sort of, standard young adult is, is what, an, 12 an, to incre- 19 that's, in, de- that's incredibly a, broad that's incredibly broad in the sense that you go from being somebody who's not remotely um uh, in a place where you should be you're you're in a place where you're not, you have not hit puberty mo- um, in general and mm-hmm. like are not you know um speaking specifically to the idea of like exploring sexual relationships in a book at tw- a 12 year old has a very different it's a very right, different is, audience yeah, for that have, than a 19 year old. Yeah, an incredibly different audience and incredibly different approach and perspective on something like sex than an 18 year old yes. does. Yeah. yeah. And so it's so that, and so already, and then if you expand that out even further, a, tw- a 12 year old versus a 25 year old, it's not even in the same universe. Like, it's, yeah. it, it, so it's, yeah, it makes it, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird. Now, both the Twilight Saga and, its author have their problematic issues. We'll be discussing that in our Breaking Dawn prequel. <laughs> Look forward to that. But you really can't deny the incredible influence that this book series had. I mean, why YA looks the way that it does today because of Twilight. Yeah, that's yeah. It's one of the yeah, yeah for sure one of the one of them. Absolutely. That was our learning things segment. We're all a little bit smarter now. Let's move on and learn about Twilight Saga Eclipse. Isabella Swan, I promise to love you every moment forever. She's still human. The Volturi don't give second chances. Why are you so against me becoming like you? I know the consequences of the choice you're making. After a few decades, everyone you know will be dead. You wouldn't have to change for me, Bella. I'm in love with you, and I want you to pick me instead of him. Originally published in 2007, as I said, Eclipse is the third novel of the Twilight Saga. Meyer also wrote a companion novella to Eclipse titled The Short Second Life of Brie Tanner. That was in 2010. I am currently reading that. I've never read it before. Mm-hmm. It came out very solidly after I had lost interest. <laughs> uh, Meyer finished the rough draft of Eclipse actually before the release of Twilight in October of 2005. She has said that the final manuscript did not differ all that much from the rough draft, although it did have a different ending, as Eclipse was apparently originally intended to be the last book in the series, which makes sense. Like, a trilogy is pretty well-treaded territory. Um, what is a four-set called? Do you know that off it the top of your head? It might be called a four-set. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, like, off the top of my I'll, head, I'll I want to say, like, a quadrilogy. Quatrain? Yes, a quatrain. I mean, right? That maybe? I'm Googling, but keep going. 
According to Meyer, the book was inspired and influenced by Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte, although Meyer herself does not like that book, apparently. She has been quoted as saying, you could look at Edward and Jacob from one perspective and say, okay, this one is Heathcliff and this one is Edgar. And someone else might say, no, wait a second, because of this reason and that reason, that one is Heathcliff and the other one is Edgar. I like that confusion because that's how life is. I'm finding three different answers. <laughs> what are they? So Google, the first thing that shows up when I said, what is a set of four books called? Like the thing that's like their highlighted mm -hmm. answer is quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. But I don't know if that's the most popular answer. It can also be called a quartet, which I feel uh, like I've heard before. Yeah, I feel like I've heard quartet before. And yes. also a uh, the other one that showed up was a, hold on, where'd it go? Tetralogy. Tet tetralogy t-e-t-r-a-l-o-g-y like tetra like a tetrahedron uh, yes tetralogy. Heard, i think i've heard that too so tetralogy quartet or quadrilogy apparently i hate quadrilogy not I, using it. I, I like quartet. kind of like quadrilogy but i i do feel like i've heard quartet I most frequently used yeah, yeah. um so still on the that's topic what a, sorry that's what like a string quartet like yes that's a, yeah, yeah. Um, so still on the topic of Wuthering Heights, um, in 2009, The Telegraph reported that HarperCollins' Wuthering Heights edition had sold more than 10,000 copies since May of that year, more than twice as many as the original Penguin Classics edition, and it topped the newspaper's classic books chart for the first time due to Meyer referencing the novel. Yeah. So apparently all of these people who were reading Eclipse then ran out and bought copies of more than Oh, Eclipse. I have so many notes about this when we get to the main episode to talk about their actual discussion of Wuthering Heights in the book. I was laughing out loud at this two pages where they discussed this because I was like, really? Okay. I've actually never read Wuthering Heights all the way through. I've tried several times. I just can't get through it. I've never God, read it. God, I've tried. Never read it. Have no interest. But the discussion of it in the book made me laugh a lot. Um, and we'll <laughs> talk about it. So let's talk about the cover of Eclipse. We've talked about the cover for every other book, mm. I think. Uh, the Broken Ribbon apparently represents choice, as in the book Bella Must Choose Between Edward and Jacob. Meyer has also stated that the ribbon represents the idea that Bella is unable to completely break away from That's, her human life. That was how I interpreted it when I looked at it. Was it, it was uh, yeah, her like tether on life. Yeah, it's like and it's not a clean break her, yeah, and her it's tether, frayed. And, her tether yeah. on um, mortality or whatever. I think that makes more sense than just choice. Yeah. But what do I know about cover <laughs> design? Um, here's an interesting marketing thing that the publishers did a few months ahead of the book's release. Stephanie Meyer hosted an eclipse prom event at Arizona state university. Um, tickets for that apparently sold out within seven hours, which resulted in her then holding a second prom on the same day for which the tickets sold out within four hours. Um, at that event, she read the first chapter of Eclipse, which had already been released in the special edition of New Moon. Mm. Well, re it was released the same day. Yes. Yeah. 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 Another thing that I did not realize happened until I started doing um, research for this. 
um, Eclipse actually had an incident similar to the early release of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Uh, Barnes and Noble booksellers accidentally shipped some advanced copies of Eclipse to some customers who had pre-ordered to try and event prevent any spoilers from popping up online Uh, a lot of the fan site forums got shut down um stephanie meyer also locked her myspace comments which is a sentence that i love (laughs) locked her myspace comments um and then in an open as long as it still auto played her ever ever (laughs) evanescence uh (laughs) music player that's all we need (laughs) um and then in an open letter to uh, the fan site, the Twilight Lexicon, Meyer pleaded with these, quote, lucky readers to keep the ending to themselves until the rest of the Twilight fans had had a chance to read and enjoy Eclipse as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Eclipse received generally positive reviews. Critics noted its exploration of more mature themes while praising the novel's love triangle and plotting. See, we were praising love triangles then because yeah. they weren't everywhere. Because they weren't everywhere. Um, and Royer, I, I praised, I, I, I turned to you, I said this, I turned to you on page 25 and I go, oh my God, there's plot already. Yeah. There's a thing, there's a hint you of did. plot 25 pages in. This is a first for these <laughs> books so far. Um, Anne Royer of the School Library Journal gave the novel a positive review, saying, Meyer knows what her fans want, thrills, chills, and a lot of romance, and she delivers on all counts. However, she found that the werewolves and vampires' histories slowed the book's pace and called the newborn army's story a, quote, convoluted add-in. I haven't gotten there yet. I'm sorry. I'm only 115 pages in. I I was aware of that, but... I already finished it. I finished it today. Novelist Elizabeth Hand wrote a negative review of the book for the Washington Post, calling it a disappointment and criticizing it for never delivering an epic werewolf bloodsucker smackdown. Spoilers. As well as for Bella remaining an insufferable bore. Damn. Damn. She really did not like the book. Didn't like, not a Bella fan. Um, Publishers Weekly also wrote, The legions of readers who are hooked on the romantic struggles of Bella and the vampire Edward will ecstatically devour this third installment of the story, while also noting it's unlikely to win over any newcomers. Which, I mean, sure, Sure. why would you start on book three? She does do the thing where she tries. It's not, this one doesn't have for my, so far, or not so far, it's not going to have it. It doesn't have the straight up uh, reintroduction chapter that the second one did. It has a little bit of it. It has a little bit of it. But it's done more like here and there kind of as you go. Yeah. If you did start, you wouldn't be completely lost. You'd be pretty lost. You'd be pretty lost. But it gives you stuff here and there. And like even just now, the last chapter I read, they kind of recapped some of what happened in previous, you know, previous events that happened. Um and that sort of thing. So there's a little bit, but yeah, why would you ever start? I never even understood that with with people like like with like with Harry Potter or like any any books where they have those recap chapters in the yeah. in the first, you know, couple chapter or two where it's like here's the world and what's I was like who screw that I'm not screw that person, but like Read the first book first and then read this. I don't understand that. I don't know why you would want to jump in on the book. I always interpreted that kind of chapter as being for 
people who had read the that's other fair. books. Yeah, 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 that's fair. But that's maybe fair. like you just forgot. It's been not a while. for yeah. a little while. And you read a bunch of stuff in between or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Because yeah, it's something like Twilight or Harry Potter. It's not like. It's not like your babysitter's club serialized right. fiction. You can't yeah. just pick up any book of the series. That's what I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, like, know what's going on. Yeah, that's why, uh, yeah, I guess those are for more for, I, I, I always felt like even as a kid I didn't need those chapters. So but I was like, even, wow. even reading the first little bit of Eclipse, I have, I have, I made a note in my notes when she, like, when Bella's, like, re-explaining that Edward is a vampire and Jacob is a werewolf, I'm, like, pretty sure if you made it all the way to yeah. Eclipse, you know what you're, you here, know for. What you're here for. You know what you're here for. But okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. That was it for our book notes. Let's go ahead and talk about Twilight Saga Eclipse, the film. Edward. She found us. protect you no matter what you don't know what you're getting yourself into i'm gonna fight for you until your heart stops beating eclipse is a 2010 film directed by david slade director of hard candy starring ellen page 30 days of night american gods he did several episodes of that the neil game um Mm -hmm. neil gaiman TV show mm-hmm. or based on his novel. Uh, Black Mirror did a couple episodes. He also directed the uh, Bandersnatch, like Choose Your Own Adventure oh, movie that they did for Netflix. And one episode of Breaking Bad among. He also he started as a music uh, video director. So huh. <clears throat> I didn't list all those, but there was a bunch of like big music mm-hmm. videos. The screenplay is uh, once again by Melissa Rosenberg, uh, most notably the creator, uh, showrunner of Jessica Jones, also wrote the previous movie all of our stars return they're back uh except for rachel uh rachel lefevre lefevre i don't actually don't know how to pronounce rachel lefevre she was replaced by bryce dallas howard as victoria and we'll talk a little bit about that in here in a second Mm. this film held the record for the biggest midnight opening in the u.s grossing 30 million dollars on opening night until Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 came out a few months later, I believe. Because from my memory, when I was looking at the notes, this was originally going to come out in November, mm-hmm. which the first two had. But then they moved it up to August, I believe, or something like that, because Harry Potter was coming out in November. And they mm-hmm. didn't want to, yeah. They didn't want to directly they didn't compete. Wanna, they didn't want to compete with that. Um, until Harry Potter came out uh, in November... Uh, ultimately, this movie made 700 globally. This movie made 700 million dollars against a budget of 68 million, which is nuts. How small <laughs> of a budget that is for a movie making that much money. Well, I mean, most big bad. like Marvel movies are well over 100 million dollar budgets, most yeah. of them. And that's yeah, that's nuts. Uh, this movie has a 48 percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes and has a 58 out of 100 on Metacritic. Just as a refresher, I've done this so far for everything, or all the movies, Twilight, the first one, had was 49% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and New Moon was 28% fresh, which is interesting because we preferred New Moon, the movie, over mm-hmm. the book, but mm-hmm. we preferred the book, Twilight, the mm-hmm. first book over the movie. On Metacritic, Twilight had a 56, and New Moon had a 44. So none of them, this is the highest... Uh, 
Highest on Metacritic. Highest on Metacritic and close to the highest in on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. It's basically tied with the first one hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes. So interesting. Chris White's, uh, who directed, uh, I keep yeah, New Moon. Uh, Chris White's, who directed New Noon, was still working on post production on that film, so he could not direct. He was going; they wanted him um, to, but he couldn't because he was still working on. Yeah, couldn't uh, roll over into it. Couldn't uh, couldn't finish post production in time to start uh, production on Eclipse, so David Slade took over. It was explained that the change in Victoria's casting was due to scheduling conflicts by the studio. Lefevre, Lefevre, whatever, responded by saying that she was quote stunned and, quote, greatly saddened by the decision, um, which she was also starring in another film at the time, and uh-huh. they said it was because of that movie. But there's, it sounds like the, everything I read without getting, I didn't want to get into, like, weird, I don't know. I want to go, like, down a rabbit hole trying to figure out what was going on here. But it sounded like it was a little more complicated, and, like, maybe somebody felt she was difficult to work with. Who knows? No. I don't know. I don't, that's... There, I it just going. sounded like there was more going yeah. on than just the scheduling, and that's, like what they said the problem uh-huh. is what it sounded like. I don't know. Uh, or maybe they just wanted a bigger name. That but would have been my guess. Here's the thing, which is interesting. Uh, supposedly, Bryce Dallas Howard had previously rejected the role of Victoria. They offered it to her for Twilight, and mm-hmm. she thought it was, quote, too small of a part. There are no small parts, yeah. only small but, actors. But then she came back. They came back to her after mm. these movies were making hundreds and yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> uh, and to be fair, Victoria is, has, is a more prominent, or at least maybe not more prominent part. She's not like in it more, but she's a more, um, she's kind of a recurring big she, bad. Yeah, she's the big bad yeah. in this one. Yeah. So I would, I would argue she's still not in very much of it. That's what I mean. But, yeah. She's still not really in it a lot, at least from what I've read so far. It doesn't seem like it, but she is like the mysterious big bad. But I mean, the book, we're like totally stuck in Bella's perspective. The yeah. movie might occasionally leave That's true. and like show what they're doing in Seattle. That's very true. We could see more going on with yeah. what's going on. She might, she might be in the movie more than she is in the book. That's very true. Uh, I thought this was interesting. I didn't realize this. I, I didn't pay attention to who did the score for the first two Twilight movies, but I know who it wasn't, and it wasn't Howard Shore, who is who did the score for this one. Uh, and people might probably most recognize Howard Shore as the uh, the person who did the score for the Lord of the Rings trilogy, mm-hmm. among um, a bunch, tons of stuff. Yeah. He's one of the most prolific working composers in Hollywood. But uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, yeah, one of his more famous scores. Kristen Stewart apparently... Wore a wig for this film. Uh, she cut off all of her hair for The Runaways. Which I didn't realize. I haven't yeah, seen this one. She had like a 70s shag in that movie. I haven't seen The Runaways. So, but I, I, I will, it would be interesting. I'll be interested to look and see if we can tell. Yeah. Because it's usually you can tell. Yes. <laughs> usually you can tell. <laughs> if you, especially, well, you can tell if you know, usually. Sometimes it's harder if you don't know, but even mm-hmm. then sometimes you can tell, but. Uh, Eclipse apparently is Taylor Lautner's favorite book in the series. We did this for uh, <laughs> Robert Pattinson in the last one. We knew why that was. His favorite <laughs> was New Moon because he's not friggin' in it. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently this is uh, Taylor Lautner's favorite book in the series. And finally, I don't know who this character is because I haven't gotten there yet. But there's a character named Riley in this movie and book played by some guy I'd never heard of. And but he uh, two other people that were considered for that role were Tom Felton and Channing Tatum. 
I feel like those are two very different very actors. Very different actors. And I think looking at the, I looked up the guy who ended up with the role. They uh-huh. kind of landed somewhere in the middle. Interesting. Interesting. He looks like a, a bigger, like he's, he has a, his, he has more of a look of like a Tom Felton, like a more angular type of face mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But he looks larger, kind more like beefier. a Channing Tatum maybe. So maybe they kind of like <laughs> split the difference. Just... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure this guy's been in other stuff. I, I, I just, I didn't recognize him from anything. I can't remember. Let me look up his name real quick. He's first build on IMDb. Really? I don't understand. Uh, Xavier Samuel. Uh, his Does most known are Love and Friendship, Fury, uh, which is a David Ayer's film, and then and then this this movie, Twilight uh, Eclipse. Let's see what else he's been in. Uh, Bad Blood. Never heard of that. Never heard of that. Never heard of that. Uh, never heard of that. Never. Heard of that, never heard of that. <laughs> wow. I. Uh, he's in the credits, or he's credit only in Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Part Two. I don't recognize anything else he's been in. Fury, I, I, I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. But other than that, and I've heard of Love and Friendship, but I've never seen it. So, anyways, uh, I could see Tom Felton, though, when I looked at the pictures of him. Channing Tatum, a little bit less so. Mm. But anyways, that's it for our movie facts. We're going to tell you one more thing, which is where you can watch Twilight Saga Eclipse. So, uh, first, as always, support your local library. Go rent it from them. If they have it on Blu-ray or DVD, go get it. Order, drive through the window, pick it up, that sort of thing. If you have Amazon Prime, it is available on Amazon Prime. That's a recent thing. Yeah. When we started this, that wasn't the case. It has just been added. Yeah, we had to pay to rent Twilight. We had to pay to rent it on Amazon. And then, Uh, like, the next week, Amazon was like, guess what, guys? (laughs) Here you go. They're all on here. And we're like, what the heck? We just paid for it out. Okay, great. Uh, But it is on Amazon Prime if you have an Amazon Prime subscription. If you have a Hulu with live TV, not just regular Hulu, but Mm -hmm. if you have the live TV subscription through them, it is also available in there. If you have a cable provider subscription of some sort uh freeform tv which is also we recorded that's how we yeah, watched uh, new that's moon. how we watched new moon yeah um if you have freeform tv in some capacity and you can record it uh it airs on there a lot but also they have it on demand if you have like their you go to the like freeform tv website and sign in with your cable provider you can watch it that way it's also on stars play apparently which is like a stars i think that's just like their web streaming you mm-hmm. know their their streaming service uh or the Roku channel, which we just found out, yeah, uh, because it, it shows up on a, the little the little ads that pop up on like when your Roku is sleeping or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so if you have the Roku channel, which we think is free if you have a Roku device, we have a Roku. I have never clicked on the Roku channel because I don't want our Roku to think that I'm going to use the Roku right. channel. <laughs> but I, I looked it up and I'm. According to what I saw online, I believe it is free if you have like if you have the device and you can access the channel. There you go. So those are all your options. Uh, and then and you can rent it any all those other places that are it's four bucks, yeah. you know, iTunes, all those yeah. kind of places. Or so you still have a family video. Yeah. Or, or some go, such equivalent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go support your local family video. Those are all the places you can watch Twilight Eclipse. Excited to get back into the Twilight Saga. The book's been fine so far. It's been maybe the least boring. I I enjoyed this one. I enjoyed rereading it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. So far, it's been it's been interesting. Mm-hmm. There's been stuff happening. Mm-hmm. 
we'll see. We'll see how it wraps up. I still got most of it to go, but <laughs> we'll get there. So until that time in one week's time when we talk about Twilight Saga, Eclipse, Guys, Gals, Non-Binary, and everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.